Happy Easter! The Lord is risen, and you're to say He's risen indeed. Uh, we're glad that you're tuning in today, and you couldn't make it with us uh, for our outdoor service. Uh, at least you're here for this, and so we appreciate that. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and so let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, it is uh, great to be here this morning. We thank you that you've allowed us to meet together. And Father, that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior, our hope. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for that. And thank you for uh, providing for us a way to be saved and to spend eternity with you. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I want to just begin with Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Acts is written by Luke, the traveling companion of Paul. If you haven't realized that, out of all the writers in the New Testament, if I'm not mistaken, Luke is the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. And he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, the former account is the book after his name, Luke. Uh, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he all presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, having been seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In other words, they saw him, uh, they, they knew he was alive. The one that they'd seen die rose from the dead. He was the Messiah, the King, the resurrected Lord. And uh, that is one of the questions that people scoff at. Is Christ really alive? Did he actually raised from the dead? And uh, that answer determines whether you have faith or not. That answer is critical to Christianity because on the cross and the resurrection are, are the two center points of all the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did he really raise from the dead? Uh, the Bible says it rather bluntly in 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul says, If Christ be not risen, our preaching is vain. Your faith is in vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses because we have testified that God raised Christ from the dead. And the further, he goes on and says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then also those which have fallen asleep or have died in Christ have perished. But there's victory at the end of this because he says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of them that slept. The Bible just bluntly bluntly presents the case that Jesus is alive. And we have hope because of the reality of Christ's resurrection. And that would be the, the sermon title, The Reality of Christ's Resurrection. We have hope because of the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. And so I want to look at two or three things about that. The next several weeks, we'll look at what about after the resurrection and the blessings of the resurrection for us as Christians. But today, the reality of it. And it says uh, very specifically that I want to look at two or three things. Really, there's going to be five things, so we'll have to hurry. Uh, two or three would be pastorally speaking. I'm assuming you're laughing or shaking your head no. The first thing that you have to account for if you don't believe in the resurrection is this, the radical change of the disciples. The radical change of the disciples. 
the disciples were really guilty of cowardice. In uh, Mark and Matthew, uh, it says that, uh, let me find the Mark passage first. It says that they forsook him. Uh, that isn't it. Mark 15, 47 talks about uh, Mary Magdalene, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. I've got some of these backwards. Anyway, what it talks about is that when they arrested Jesus, it says all forsook him. Even though all had claimed, even Peter, who claimed he would die for Jesus, all of them ran off, all right? And that, that's what it, it, it says in all the gospel accounts uh, that uh, they all fled, they all forsook him. Uh, I'm not going to find it now. I should have marked it better. They said, there it is, in Matthew 25, verse 56, it's talking about all this was done that the scriptures and the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So you have the radical change in the disciples. What I mean that they were guilty of cowardice. They fled. They didn't want to die. Uh, not normal folks don't. Uh, when we find them again in the book of later in the when Jesus appears to them in Matthew 28, they are all locked in an upper room. They are scared to death. Okay, and then there's the cowardice and then there's the change because when we come to Acts chapter 3, beginning verse 13, they began to argue with the very men who put Jesus to death. In Acts 3, 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One, the just, and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. You see, they go from cowards to courageous. They go from whimpering to shouting. They go from unbelief to belief. They go from lost hope to hope fulfilled. Why? You have to account what made the difference. The difference was they've seen the risen Savior. They knew their faith was well placed. They knew they had hope and eternal life and all the words of Jesus being brought back by the Holy Spirit assured them that he told them he would die and raise on the third day and they saw the living Lord and it changed their lives forever. You see, some people are like uh, the guy who saw the Grand Canyon for the first time. He looked at that majestic spectacle of the Grand Canyon. He said, huh, something must have happened here. Duh, something cataclysmic happened to make the Grand Canyon. It wasn't just an Indian dragging a stick on his horse that made the Grand Canyon. Something marvelous happened, and the Grand Canyon was made, all right? And we need to understand that no matter what you believe about Christ's resurrection, you have to give a reason how the cowards became courageous. Do we understand that these men believe so much in, in Christ's resurrection that all of them except maybe and probably John too, died martyrs' deaths believing that Jesus rose from the dead and they preached that and they lived that and it changed their lives forever. And so we have to understand that that's one of the first proofs 
of Christ really being raised from the dead is the change in the apostles and the other disciples whom he appeared to. You can go to 1 Corinthians 15 and Paul lists the different ones that he appeared to. He appeared to Peter and he appeared to James, his half-brother, and he appeared to all of them at once, minus Thomas and then with Thomas, and he appeared to over 500 at one time. And so in any court of law, that would stand up, those eyewitness resurrection appearances that Jesus is alive. And if you haven't met the risen Lord, he wants to meet you as you place your faith in him and confess your sins, and he will save you. And you will know that Jesus really is alive. But the second thing that we see that, that you have to deal with is the total absence of the body of Jesus. The total absence of the body of Jesus. In Matthew 28, uh, the religious leaders find themselves in a, in a quandary, all right? Uh, the story is starting to circulate that Jesus rose from the dead. And it says that uh, in uh, verse 11, now, while they were going, in other words, some of the women going back to tell the apostles, behold, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priests all things that had happened. There had been an earthquake, that Jesus rose from the dead, they fainted because they were scared to death. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's Jesus, we will, make, we will appease him and make you secure. They took the money, did as they were instructed in this, saying as commonly reported among the Jews to this day. They could not find Jesus' dirty body. And you understand, if, if the governor Pilate found out that they'd been sleeping and the disciples stole the body away, he would have had them executed, period. All right? And so they gave a large sum of money because they simply refused to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. They had told him earlier, come down off the cross, we believe. No. They had said, you know, if someone raised from the dead, we believe. No. They had a willful desire not to believe. The total absence of the body was a problem for the religious leaders. Now, that leads me to some skeptical theories that have been promoted through the centuries about well, Jesus didn't really die, and he really didn't, et cetera, et cetera. The first one they call the coma theory, all right? And basically, um, what they said was Jesus was exhausted. He didn't really die on the cross. He was put in the cool of the tomb. He revived, and he went off to live in another land, all right? The problem with that is you get some... Folks, like in uh, Luke 23, 46, uh, it talks about him piercing his side and blood and water flowed out, and that was a sign that he was really dead it, because the, uh, the pericardium, the, hearsed, the heart had burst, and when he stabbed up through that left side and speared that, there would be water there coming out and blood, and there was. And then in John 19, beginning with verse 31, uh, the coma theory is, is wrong because... It says in, in verse 19, um, verse 31, it says, Because of preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. See, you broke their legs because if, if uh, somebody on the cross couldn't lift themselves up with their leg, they could not breathe. 
And the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who was seen, who has seen, he who has seen, has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, so that you may believe. You understand that John says, I was there. I saw them pierce his side. I saw the water and the blood pour out. I saw them bury him. We go on and it talks about Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus secretly as Pilate for the body. Pilate sins and finds out that he's already dead and he gives him the body. And he, Nicodemus meets him there. They wrap the body and give some spices to it. They roll a large stone and close it. And then the Jewish leaders had a guard set on it and it was sealed with that seal according to Pilate's authority that nobody could steal the body. You see, the coma theory doesn't work. These Roman soldiers were experts at death and at crucifixion. They were experts at it. They'd know somebody had just fainted. They'd know. It would, it would mean their lives if they'd let somebody uh, escape that wasn't really dead when they were sentenced to die on that cross. They were experts at death. They knew Jesus was dead. Do we understand that? He didn't just revive do we understand that? Joseph wouldn't have buried Jesus if he hadn't been sure that he was totally dead and rolled the stone there. That makes no sense. Then there's the stolen body. Can you say, ha? Huh? The Jewish leaders gave them a large sum of money and they spread that and several Jews because it was convenient, because they refused to believe. Didn't do that. If there had been a stolen body, they would have done a massive manhunt for it. They would have arrested the disciples. They would have tortured them until they told them what they did with the body. And they would have presented a body to say, we told you he wasn't the Messiah. There was no body to be found. Then, uh, <clears throat> we need to understand, they say, well, he just misplaced it. His body was in another tomb. But you, when you read... Uh, in the book of John again, chapter 20, on the first day of the week, which would be our Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away and she ran to tell Simon Peter and the other disciples because the tomb was empty. How do we know they didn't misplace it? Because after Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put him in the tomb, it said that where they laid Jesus... The women watched. You don't forget where you bury somebody you love. And yes, it was approaching nighttime. Yes, it was approaching the time they had to leave. But the garden area was familiar with Jesus. He'd been to Gethsemane many times. They probably knew of this tomb of Joseph and Mary Thea, this brand new rich man's tomb. Uh, a friend of Jesus, a secret follower of Jesus, but secret no more because he claims the body. Nicodemus is secret no more because he's come to help, putting their lives in danger. The women saw the tomb. They made preparation day. Uh, and the next morning on Sunday morning, after he'd been crucified on Friday, they were there. They knew where the tomb was. As a matter of fact, in the other Gospels, it says that they're wondering who's going to roll away the stone. And when they get there, the stone's rolled away. When they look in, there's no body. And the angels tell him he's not here. All these things speak that it wasn't misplaced. Uh, 
All the disciples, as I said, all those early apostles died for the cause of Christ because of a missing body because the tomb was empty and it was empty because Jesus rose from the dead and they saw the living Lord. If you go to the tomb of Muhammad today for Islam, you'll find his bones. If you go to where they've buried Buddha, you'll find his bones. There's only one you can't find a body because he rose from the dead to live forevermore. His name is Jesus Christ. If you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, there's good evidence to say Jesus really did rise from the dead. First was the change in the disciples. The second was the absence of his body. The third was the witness of the apostle Paul. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul went around and gathered the facts and wrote it down for us. But also, notice his his personal experience in Acts chapter 9 as he's going, he's against Christianity and he's going down to Damascus to arrest some more folks and haul them back to Jerusalem, some to be stoned, some to be put in prison and Jesus meets him the living Lord meets him on the road and blinds him there with the Shekinah glory of God. He says why are you persecuting me? He said who are you Lord? He said I'm Jesus and from that moment on Paul carefully gathered the facts. He was very pragmatic about it. So he had a personal experience and he talked to others about the facts of what he didn't know about Jesus. But Jesus had revealed to him what he was going to suffer, what he had to do. And for the next 20-something years, he suffered horribly for Christ and died by beheading outside the gates of Rome for being a follower of Jesus. His personal experience, the witness of Paul says, I saw the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. I know he speaks with me. He talks with me. He empowers my ministry. I can't wait to see him face to face. And he died for the cause of Christ. That was his personal experience. Most of those who have tried to... Uh, no one's ever disproved that Christ raised from the dead. There's been lots that have tried to prove. For instance, two University of Oxford University student, students, Lord Littleton and Gilbert West, left in the end of the spring session, and each one decided they were going to do something different that summer. One was going to try to prove uh, that Paul really didn't convert to Christianity. And Lord West was going to prove, disprove the resurrection. When they came back in the fall for the fall semester there at Oxford, they met and both of them were smiling and they began to talk. In their studies, in their travels, and everything they could determine, they decided that the resurrection of Jesus was true as was the conversion of the Apostle Paul and both had become Christians because of that now, if we're living for Jesus, as Paul lived for him, we're going to understand that Jesus really does live. You see, we know that Jesus lives because his Holy Spirit lives within us. Do we understand that? From the Word of God, he speaks to us, he corrects us, he guides us. So we have the change in the disciples. With the absence of Christ's body, 
We have the witness of Paul. The fourth thing is the gospel records. I can read so much scripture, and I'm not going to take time to do that. But all four of the gospels agree that Christ rose from the dead. Now, there's some individual differences in detail, but that doesn't disprove it. That just is the different way witnesses look at things and remember things. But all four of them have, to get a complete picture, different aspects of the resurrection. The Apostle John, in 1 John, wanted us to understand how true the resurrection was. He says this in John 1.1, 1, 1, 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon our hands of handle, concerned the word of life, Jesus. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. And we have done this that you might have fellowship with him also, is what verse 3 says. You see, these guys, the gospel records, said Jesus didn't come as some kind of spirit. Uh, he was really flesh and blood. He was really God. He really did uh, pay for our sins on the cross. He really did rise from the de dead. And we know that because we saw him after he rose from the dead. We touched him. We handled him. We ate with him. Do you understand? The gospel records say that Jesus rose from the dead. All of them. And so we have those proofs. The last proof is this, it's the existence of the church. Different rulers, different times, different centuries have been trying to stomp out Christianity, have been trying to stomp out the church. But when you look at, at Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, they were assembled together. And Jesus commanded them not to depart until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then when you read Acts chapter 2, the church was, church was birthed and grew and grew. And in John 16, Jesus said, Upon this faith in me, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why do they want the church to fail? Because without the church, they think the witness of Jesus will be silent. Because we're to tell what we've seen and heard. We're to tell what we know has happened to us, what he's done for us, the forgiveness that we have in our hearts and in our minds. We need to share that that's true. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a theologian, a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist. His wife died and he had three young children as they were uh, he was in the car and they were driving, uh, following the hearse to the mother's funeral. And they got stopped at a red light and a big semi went by. And as the semi went by, the shadow fell upon the car. And in a moment of inspiration, trying to comfort his children, the Holy Spirit told this to Donald Barnhouse and he told it to his children. He said, children, would you rather be hit by the shadow of the truck or the semi itself? And they said, well, daddy, of course we'd rather hit by the shadow. He said, that's what mama experienced. It was just the shadow of death. She's still alive with Jesus. And one day, if we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we will see mama again as we see Jesus. We will be with her again. And his children, as they grew up, day by day, knew they would see their mother again. See, there's hope of life after death because Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible says, we too shall rise from the dead as the first fruits given to God.
Do we understand that? And all who die in Christ, he's coming back for. There'll be a resurrection day. Read the book of Thessalonians on that. Do we understand that? And my question is, what have you done with the reality of Jesus' resurrection? So it don't mean anything to me. Well, it should mean something to you because without the reality of the resurrection, there is no faith. There's no forgiveness of sins. Okay? Without the reality of, of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope. Because there's no hope of eternal life, and this life is all there is. And we are most pitiful of all men. So I don't believe any of that. Then you're wrong. You're not believing because you choose not to believe. And you have no excuse when you stand before God and He opens the book of life. And Jesus Himself says, it's, Your name's not here. Depart from me, I never knew you. Well, God wouldn't do that. He's a loving God. He loved you enough that He died on the cross in your place and my place. He provided a way to be saved. We condemn ourselves when we refuse to believe. Don't do that. Believe in the reality of Christ's resurrection. Believe that he's still alive today. Believe he is who he said he was when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Believe that we are sinners by nature and choice. Believe that the wages of sin is dead. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we do that by believing in Jesus, placing our faith in him, and confessing our sins and asking him to save us. I hope that if you haven't done that, and you know who you are, and so does God, that you'll get that taken care of this week. Let's dismiss in prayer. Father, thank you for raising from the dead. Thank you for drawing us to you and saving us. Father, even now you are speaking to those that have listened today. Help them to be saved, Lord. Help them to come to know you. Convict them. Give them bad dreams about what's going to happen if they don't accept you soon. In Christ's name, amen. See you next week, church.